Welcome to Un Uninformed. My name is Sean Seavey. And this is Kendall Monette. Each week we bring you current events in 20 minutes or less. We give you news that matters so you don't feel so dumb around your smart friends. Today we'll be talking about France with our resident expert, Spencer Monet. But first, let's go over the top headlines. So, Sean, the first story I have for you is SpaceX and the colonization of Mars. SpaceX is one of Elon Musk's companies. Do you know who Elon Musk is? Well, yeah, Elon Musk, he uh, started Tesla, right? Yeah. Um, he And he was uh, also the founder of SpaceX, and he's been uh, a part of a, a number of startups. Yeah, right? yeah, just like a little company called PayPal. And um, <laughs> right. he's also got a solar company, Solar City. So they have a plan for bringing down the cost of a mission to Mars from billions per person to just hundreds of thousands of dollars per person. And it's actually the same solution that they've been doing with their um, low-orbit space travel, which is reusing rockets. That's their idea with um, their ship that they would send to Mars, but on a much bigger scale, literally a much bigger ship. Now, I think it's interesting you're saying that they'll lower the price going to Mars, as if we've gone to Mars before, as if we had a feasible way of going to Mars. It seems like the first thing to tackle is how are we going to get to Mars? Right. And this is an interesting time when SpaceX is kind of leapfrogging NASA. NASA hasn't even gotten there, but SpaceX seems to have a plan and a vision for doing something that actually has not been done before, like you point out. So basically their idea is that they want to be a transportation company, kind of like the Union Pacific Railroad was for railroads, for right. trains. Yeah. And it's interesting, the speech that Elon Musk gave on this vision to go to Mars, he didn't really specify what people would do once they get there. So SpaceX is not necessarily going to be in charge of support once people get to Mars. They're going to get them there, and then it's kind of up to them what they do when they get there. Uh, yeah, like how to breathe with uh, only CO2 in the air. Yeah. <laughs> Great. <laughs> figure it out I'm on your own. I'm glad somebody else will figure that out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're on your own. Okay. So last Monday was the first presidential debate. Um, next Sunday will be the second. And this week will be the vice presidential debates. And I've got a few questions. The biggest question I got from people is, that's a thing? Uh, like, really, I called on the phone and uh, I was talking to my sister on the phone. And she's like, oh, that's, that's, a, that's a thing. Yes, it is a thing. Um, the next question I got was, who are the vice presidential candidates? So who are they? And so let's talk about them. So uh, J Jimmy Fallon was uh, Im doing an impersonation of Trump, mm -hmm. and he was saying, "Let's also hear from my great running mate, uh, what's his face?" <laughs> and, I, and I thought that was interesting because it, uh, who is this guy? Well, what's his face? Um, his name's Mike Pence. Um, he's the governor of Indiana. Hillary's running mate is Tim Kaine, and he's a senator for from Virginia. In, in comparison with the presidential debates, the fire will be directed to the presidential candidates and less likely um, mudslinging at each other. Yeah. Um, and what I'm really looking forward in this is um, it'll be more about the issues, I hope, um, rather than personal attacks. Obviously, there's going to be attacks about the running mates. A real reason to turn on the television and watch this is because we'll actually hear about the issues. And that's happening at Farmville, Virginia. So Not to be confused with the Facebook game. Right. So yeah. if you're in the area or on Facebook that day, check it out. The next uh, story I have for you is about the FARC. What? 
It's a serious thing. <laughs> oh, sorry. Okay. Okay. FARC stands for Fuerzas Armadas Revolucionarias de Colombia. And so that nice. what that means in Spanish is the Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia. It's a left-wing nationalist terror guerrilla group in Colombia. So it's interesting. In the U.S., we think of armed militias as ultra-right-wing, you know? Okay. And they're anti-government, and they cling to their guns and religion, as Obama said. But um, in uh, Colombia, it's kind of on the other side of the spectrum. They're left-wing. So think of them as extreme Bernie supporters, okay. but with guns and hiding in the jungles. Wow. But it's not that kind of guerrilla. It's the other kind. What's been happening this year is a series of pretty successful ceasefires has turned into a peace agreement. And this is huge for Colombia because it means the end of fighting between this guerrilla group and the government, the army. And so what the peace agreement says is that guerrillas will not be jailed and the FARC will become a political party. They will be guaranteed some seats in Congress, but not a lot. And they'll be able to function in society as a political party and a movement rather than a guerrilla terror group. So the big story here is integration and healing. A lot of these FARC fighters are not well educated. It'll be an interesting transition for them coming back into society in Colombia. Uh, there's also a lot of resentment from people who have been hurt by the guerrilla fighters in the past. So that'll be an interesting story to watch. Hey guys, this is Kendall here. Just a quick edit. We recorded on Friday night and the vote for the Colombian peace deal was on Sunday. It actually did not pass. The people voted against it. So we're not exactly sure what the next step will be for Colombia, but um, the government will likely try to take further steps toward reconciliation. So that'll be the story to watch for. Just thought we'd give you an update. Last week, President Obama had a historical moment. He had his first veto override. Um, so, Wait, so what, what is the process of a veto override? Well, if you watch uh, Grammar Rock, no, what was it? If you watch Schoolhouse, Schoolhouse Rock, Rock, so if a president decides to veto something, it has to go back to the House and Senate to override it. And then they get a chance to say, no, we really want this. Yeah, and uh, it, it requires a two-thirds uh, majority, and in this case, there was an overwhelming majority on this. There was, uh, for Senate... It was 91 to 1. And who was that one person? It was Harry Reid. In the House, it was 348 to 77. But what was the issue? We haven't even talked about that yet. So, it is now signed into law that relatives of 9-11 victims can sue Saudi Arabia for having any role in the plot for 9-11. That's huge. Does this bill state any kind of evidence that... Saudi Arabia as a state or individuals in Saudi Arabia had involvement? I believe having this bill will bring it to the table. So it opens up the possibility to explore it. Yeah. And, uh, but as it stands, there's not, there's not black and white evidence for this. President Obama, of course, was grieved at this. And when he was talking to the CNN town hall meeting for military personnel, he said, it's an example of why sometimes you have to do what's hard. And frankly... I wish Congress here had done what's hard. I didn't expect it because if you're perceived as voting against 9-11 families right before an election, not surprisingly, that's a hard vote for people to take. But it would have been the right thing to do. So Obama said this would be the right thing to do. 
but these people are close to the November elections, and they really did this for political purposes. And can I just poke a great big hole in that argument? Every two years, one-third of the Senate turns over. The other two-thirds, they keep their seats. So Obama's logic would only really apply to one-third of these senators. Only one-third of them are up for re-election this November. So to imply that they're all doing it for political reasons, I don't think that stands up at all. And another thing, he did mention that it would be a bad precedent. So are we going to do this? I guess by that he means, are we going to do this every time we feel unjust? Are we just going to sue governments? Are we exporting our litigation culture to the rest of the world? He may have some good points, but I don't think blaming it on politics and people wanting to be reelected is a fair tactic. I think that smells fishy. All right, so for our main story today, we're going to be talking about France. As we mentioned at the top of the show, we have with us Spencer Monet, our resident French expert, and we just thought we would jump into this by explaining a little bit of our motivation behind interviewing people who have traveled and experienced the world in unique ways. 60 years ago, you had to join the military to really see the world, and your mission as a member of the military was very defined. There were only a few ways to see the world, and Nowadays, you can do all sorts of things. You can serve in volunteer organizations. You can teach English abroad. You can build toilets in India. So I think there's a lot of ways to see the world and experience the world. And that's part of our interview series. That's part of our motivation behind this interview series. So next month will be the one-year anniversary of the November 2015 terrorist attacks in Paris, France. Um, it is sometimes called 1113, um, which kind of sounds like 911. I think it will be something that will be heralded similar to 911. This has definitely been the bloodiest terrorist attack that France has ever seen. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about that with Spencer here. So Spencer Monet, welcome to our show. Thanks. I'm really excited to talk about France. And tell us, what what is your experience with France? Well, I lived there for two years as a volunteer for my church, and I did service there full-time. Anything French, I'm in love with it. Facebook um, did something interesting last November. They did a campaign where you can uh, change your profile picture to support France and the people of Paris. Yeah, I really loved seeing that, and I loved uh, the Paris Je T'aime phrase that went around, which means Paris, I love you. I think it was a long time coming, especially for a lot of French people who get the impression sometimes that Americans are just fed up with French and French culture, and that's not at all true. There have been some political reasons in the past where we haven't always seen eye to eye, but in general, French people love Americans, and American people love French people. I I mean, otherwise we wouldn't keep going to the Eiffel Tower. It wouldn't be on our bucket list. So France seemed like a quiet place before the terrorist attacks. Why do you think it did become a target for terrorist attacks? Yeah, I I noticed even when I was there back in 2005, I, I imagined that there might have been attacks because there had been a lot of unrest with um, just immigration issues. It, the rise of Islam in France has been an issue for a long time, and it was close after the attacks here on U.S. soil. So... I was surprised that there what there weren't any attacks during my whole two years there. But you did see riots, though. We right? saw riots, and a lot of times it um, 
was surrounding more um, civil issues, domestic issues at home, but every once in a while there were issues surrounding greater things like the rise of Islam. What I want to know, would it be what we would call in the U.S. straight-up racism? Um, no, it's it's really more... It's interesting to me because it kind of seems oppressive to one specific religion because okay. there are now interventions to try and prevent new mosques from being built in France. Oh. There are, I mean, you've probably heard in the news where there there were laws passed that try to prevent women from wearing the burqa oh. in certain places. Does that differ from American culture, how we see immigrants? It seems like... Uh, America's history with religious freedom plays a huge role still today because there there's not exactly that same feeling in France. When I mean, when it comes to civil rights, absolutely, um, people have a hard time reconciling themselves with the racism that they see, um, just unfair treatment of people who come from other countries. And I saw all the time people french people french people whose families lived in france for generations treating others with total respect and the people who were more recent to france uh, and especially if they were french citizens it's like once you're a french citizen it doesn't matter where you came from but what was an issue is is all the people who were either refugee status or waiting in line to become French citizens. And a lot of times what happens when you wait in line is you don't do anything. And you you see a lot of youth who were um, unemployed. You see a lot of crime resulting from that kind of thing. To answer your question, Kendall, it seemed like the sentiment in, among French people was that we are in France a traditionally Christian country. And the rise of Islam is associated with extremism. And so they see those things as just very black and white. Whereas here we try to see Islam as a legitimate religion, which is sometimes abused to the extreme. I think they just see this rise and it's really concurrent with the rise in immigration. And so those two things are really linked and really hot topics for the French people. Um, this next section about France is the short answer section. I'm going to name something that's French, and you give me your experience with that when you're in France. French fries. Um, French fries are from Belgium, and uh, the best way to have them in France is les moules frites, which is mussels and fries. Oh. French toast. French toast I never had in France. I don't know if it's a French thing, but I doubt it. It's way too sweet. <laughs> really? oh, yeah. I know. I've heard that, that Europeans can't stand peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Yeah. And it just seems like the nastiest thing on the earth, and it's too sweet. French bread. Oh, French bread is um, probably the thing that I miss the most about France. Is it like... The French bread at Walmart? <laughs> That's an insult. <laughs> no, not even close. Um, but there's a fun saying about the French bread being like the French people. Hard on the outside and soft on the inside. <laughs> oh, and that just sums it all up. French dip. Um, French dip. I never had that in France. Again, I'm not sure if it's a French thing or not. French braid. French braid. Cool. You have pretty short hair right cool now. Cool hairdo. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where that if it really is 
French or not. French kisses. Oh, okay. So I didn't have any French kisses when I was in France. <laughs> I was putting you in the corner but, on this one. I really wanted to yeah. find out. But it's an interesting topic. I, I, The thing that I think of first is actually the bisou, which is the polite greeting when you see a friend or family or even sometimes when you meet someone for the first time, you give a bisou, which is a kiss. Not on exactly the cheek, right? on the cheek, but it's like you touch cheeks and kiss. Okay. Yeah. And do and they do more than one depending on they how usually close do you are? one on each side. And but if if you're really close, I guess you could do like three on each side. <laughs> and it was funny me looking up French kisses. I didn't get what I was looking for. Um, but I don't even want to know. <laughs> well, what were you looking for? <laughs> I wanted to know the origin of How do you do it? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, my girlfriend taught me that. <laughs> no, um I wanted to know how French French kisses were and as far as I know, f- French and love kind of mean the same thing. So can you can you talk about that a little a little bit? Yeah, um, it's it seems like a really common idea to associate love with France and Paris is the city of love. Um, it's a romantic culture, and I think a lot of that has to do with their values. They value life and and really living life well. So. I think that has a lot to do with love, but French kissing is interesting. I don't, I don't really know if it originated in France. I don't know the history there, but it makes sense. It's a very passionate kind of kiss, and um, the French are passionate people, and yeah. they're passionate about life, so it translates into their relationships. So let's talk about the love-hate relationship between France and America. We know it exists. And even though this is going to be a really touching time coming in November, we're, we will need to be sensitive. But what exactly is the source of this love-hate relationship with France and America? Well, it's interesting, like you said, it, back in 2003 when Freedom Fries was a big trend, I think um, it did bug a lot of French people. One of, one of the most common things I would hear from French people was... We love American people. We just don't like your government. And it would still bug me because I was trying to be really proud of my country and my government. But um, it it just goes to show you that it's really not personal. It's not about our cultures clashing. It's about sometimes there are policies that we don't agree on. And, and I think even in France, there were people who probably wanted to go to war with like the war against terror. Over the past 20 years, they've been fighting terrorism. So it's not a matter of French people being... I mean, I think it's easy for <laughs> Americans to joke and say, oh, what do French people do in war? They retreat. But it's it's really insulting to French people that if, if that's a real opinion, that's insulting because it's totally not true. But I think what people in France needed, is, and I'm... Like I said, I was really glad to see the the campaign Paris Jetem. I think it was really long overdue and it makes it kind of bridges that gap. Next month on November thirteenth, we'll be remembering the November terrorist attacks from twenty fifteen. What do you think Americans ought to uh take from that? I think you mentioned at the beginning solidarity was one of the big takeaways from being able to have a Facebook filter, I think 
solidarity is one thing we don't have enough of in the world in general and mm. especially with our allies in france they they share so many of our values and i think it might be a good time to just remember and celebrate the things that we have in common because there's so much good that we get from france and french culture um but probably the the biggest value that we share is freedom hey thank you so much for being on our show I loved being on the show with you guys. It was a great topic. Say that in French. J'ai adoré être ici avec vos mecs. Vous mecs. You're going to have to edit that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, how do you say goodbye in French? Au revoir. Oh, wait. Say it slow. Au revoir. Au revoir. Au revoir. Au revoir. Ciao. Ciao. Adios. <laughs> no, that's Spanish. <laughs> All right. All right, thank you guys so much for listening. This has been Un Uninformed with Kendall Monette and Sean Seavey. So go on to the iTunes store and rate our app, especially if you like it. We are on iTunes now. We're very happy about that. And you can always find us at ununinformed.com. That's un-uninformed.com. Or like us on our Facebook page. Thanks, guys. <laughs>